Hello and welcome to the very delayed episode 74 of Sensational Shiki, live from Yancey Street. This will likely end up being a bit of a shorter episode, but for the sake of having something out for this week, I am going to go ahead and put together what I have now. Um, we will be discussing a few things that have happened this week on the t episode 75 coming this coming week on Monday, um, and that includes the passing of the late great Nichelle Nichols. Um, I honestly just I'm not emotionally prepared to cover all of that yet and her legacy and everything that she stood for. So we are just going to wait to do that on the next episode uh, so I can gather all of her um, importance properly. Also, I know there's been a lot about Warner Brothers in the news. Um, anything about that really? Um, we, I, I'm just saving that for the most part for the next episode, um, since it's all kind of been like a midweek thing and this episode was supposed to be out already. So we're going to discuss all of that on episode 75 come the week of the uh, 8th, uh, <laughs> the week of the 8th of August. But for the rest of this episode, there is some really exciting news stuff. Um, there's some new media that's out that we're going to discuss. Uh, we have some takes on Namor's costume design for the MCU. We do have some DCEU news that honestly, for all I know, is completely changed. Um, and they're going to announce all of these cancellations next week. But again, we'll cover all of that Warner nonsense on episode 75. And we'll just go with what we know for, uh, as of this past week, what we knew to be true. Um, and then we have some She-Hulk stuff based on the featurettes. Uh, comic book picks for the week, we are be covering uh, Strange number four, which was very up and down for me, uh, as well as Public Domain number two, The Variants number two, Sins of the Black Flamingo number two, and Vampirelli year one, all of which I very, very much enjoyed and do very much recommend. Uh, and then we have the comic book polls for this week. They are already out. I will say that no matter when you listen to this, they have come out. But the exciting thing at the end here that we have is the season three premiere of Harley Quinn. Uh, episodes one, two, and three premiered last week. I Granted, I've already seen episode four because again, this is a late episode, but we're still putting it out there for the sake of having some kind of content release this week to uh, keep up with the promise of doing that. It's been a crazy week. Uh, I'll get into that possibly at the end if anybody wants to hear about that. Do you hear my cat meowing in the background? Oh my gosh, he's so loud. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, and that is the kitten. He, uh, I've had the cat Lucy for years and then when we have Baffy, he is um, just about three months old now. Actually, yes, he was born May the 4th, so he's about three months old now. Um, and he is growing like a weed and he is a yeller. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's go ahead and get going here. If you are new here, welcome! You can find the community most easily on the Yancey Street Discord. There is a fresh invite link to the Discord at the bottom of each episode. It's just a place for like-minded folks for general chatting and whatnot. It doesn't always have to be about comics or nerd stuff. You can just talk about your life for all I care. Um, you can find me most easily on social media on Instagram. My username is Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and you will see I do have the comics. My podcast updates are usually posted on Twitter. You can find that there at Savage She Geek. My podcast up, uh, episodes are normally posted on Mondays or Tuesdays, depending on about how much happens over the weekend that I have to cover, usually is how that ends up going. You can also find my website. It is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. I have been working on fixing up the site quite a bit, so that is still relevant in addition to the podcast. It does include now both a beginner's guide to manga and comics, which hopefully covers any information that you might need to take your first steps into the world of comics or manga, including recommendations on graphic novels, manga, comics, um, and things of various genres. You can find reading orders of various leading ladies, including Clea, Madeline Pryor, Magic. Uh, I'm working on She-Hulks right now. A lot of those are being transitioned more or less into what I'm calling Yancey Street Specials. Once a month, I come out with special edition podcasts focusing on a certain character or topic in the comics industry. 
In fact, Clea, Madeline, and Magic have all been uh, given their own Yancey Street special episodes, which you can go ahead and find on my podcast backlog or through my website. They're listed there in their own category as well. I've also done uh, one on Patsy Walker on toxic romance in comics. The July special is not out yet, but I'm very excited that the August special is going to be covering Jennifer Walters' She-Hulk in preparation for her upcoming Disney Plus show premiering this August. Back to my blog, anything pre-2021 that you would like to find referenced on the blog, you can find uh, not on the podcast, but as written material. I started the podcast in February 2021, so if there is anything comic-related you would like to find opinions or writing on, it will all be on the blog itself. You can find my pod notes also on the blog, which are just the podcast notes that I take through the week to follow along with while I record the podcast to make sure that I don't miss anything. Uh, It's there provided for you for reading the podcast instead of listening to it, and for those, of course, who are hearing impaired, if they would like to keep up with the events of the show as well. Uh, You can find links on my website to everywhere that you can listen to this podcast, which does include most, if not all, podcast hosting apps. If you know one that I'm not on, please let me know, and I will get on that. The episodes are also posted on YouTube in a single playlist in case that is an easier format for you to listen from. There's nothing additional in the videos, it's just the little audio signature. Um, I also post action figure review videos on YouTube. It's been a lot more imports recently, SH figure arts and things, uh, as I've pretty much given up on Hasbro's Marvel Legends line with a few exceptions. Uh, But I have a really big backlog of Legends videos in case you're interested there, and that does include the HasLab Sentinel, which arrived last year, and it will be including this year's HasLab, the Galactus figure, who will be arriving hopefully in the next couple of weeks. I do have a podcast Patreon. You can find it there under Sensational She Geek. It's set up for donations to support the podcast. However, I also have the Kofi, which is um, the whole concept being by a creator who you follow a cup of coffee, uh, as well as Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal, which I think are pretty self-explanatory all on my link tree. And that goes for donations towards the podcast, uh, because I do work a day job in addition to running the podcast, and any amount of money that gets sent towards the podcast gets put into things like making the podcast better, more accessible, and hopefully in the near future it will be going towards adding a store to my website and blog, which I will hopefully be making its own domain main don't yeah domain main name <laughs> before too long here um and we can get things to be sold because i do have a red bubble store right now for now you can find it under she geek shop but it is my plan to have my own shop that i sell from my house uh maybe someday a storefront that's a long time in the future but for now you can find things under the red bubble she geek shop and uh with any other purchases and donations The money will be going towards setting up my own official shop on my own website so that we can have an actual SheGeek shop. So let's go ahead and get started with the news for today, or rather for this week. Um, Again, we will be discussing all of the everything that's been going on with Warner uh, DC and Discovery and everything. We'll just be discussing that on episode 75 come Monday the 8th. And we will also be discussing Nichelle Nichols and the importance of her legacy on that week. Um, Just because I am just generally not emotionally prepared to go through that. Uh, It's been a long week. Again, we'll talk about that at the end if you really want to know. But um, on the upside of things, um, it was going to be a Sandman will be coming to Netflix, but now it is Friday. Um, It's the the 5th. (laughs) This was supposed to be up on the 1st, but I digress. Sandman is up on Netflix as of today. I had a friend who was allowed early access to the first two episodes, I think, because of her being a longtime fan and interacting in the community and stuff for a very long time. But she saw the episodes early, very, very much enjoyed them. Um, Big, big fan of the comic. I have to admit, I have not read the comic yet. It's kind of one of those things that is just so imposing. I just, I'm a little bit scared to start it. And it's another one of those things like, um, a current example would be the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once, which uh, we'll get to that in a second, but, um, I, I feel like if I read Sandman, there's such a, this, I've heard so much good stuff about it. It's such a, 
a large chance that I'll end up being disappointed. Um, the comparison to Everything Everywhere All at Once being, I was not disappointed. Definitely check that movie out. Uh, I know it's been compared to The Matrix a lot, which actually, yes, that does check out. So Sandman is on Netflix is the point of this. Um, I will be watching it with my husband tonight for sure. Uh, he has read a lot of the comic. I, as I mentioned, have not as I hear chaos from my cat behind me. Um, other things that are up right now, Belle is on HBO Max. Um, this is one that I've been really excited to see. Um, Belle is a Japanese animated sci-fi movie that was, let's see, it's directed by Mamoru Hosada and produced by Studio Chizu. It is a little bit in the vein of what you might find on Studio Ghibli kind of things. Um, which is why I know it's become very popular for that. The plot is basically this, uh, oh, here we go. Here's a plot right here. A high school student becomes a globally be beloved singer after entering a fantastic virtual world. She soon embarks on an emotional and epic quest to uncover the identity of a mysterious beast who's run, who's on the run from ruthless vigilantes. Visually stunning everything from I've seen from it. I have no doubt the, um, audio soundtrack is excellent as well. Also, um... Hunter Schaefer, um, who was in, she was originally announced to be in some kind of Marvel project. I don't actually recall which one. Um, she was in Euphoria as well. She is also apparently, um, was the voice of Belle in English. So that's pretty cool. Um, really excited to watch that one as well. Again, that is on HBO Max as of, I think it was just a couple of days ago. Um, Again, a little bit later on the uptake here, but Paper Girls is also up. That's on Amazon. Um, absolutely fantastic. I really, really have enjoyed this. Haven't finished the series. Gotta say, haven't finished uh, watching this series. Uh, but Ali Wong so far has been absolutely fantastic as the lead adult character, who I, I guess is how you could describe her. Um, and then the little girls, uh, young women, I don't know, who make up the leads are very, very surprisingly fantastic actors. Um, they, they're doing a really, really wonderful job here. Again, I haven't gotten around to reading the comic series too much yet. Um, so when I'm getting into this, I had a lot of surprises. I was not expecting it to be so much sci-fi. Like, I knew the series involved time travel, uh, just based on the general description of events of the series, the plot, but it turns out it is so much more than that. Um, just, I, like, I, I was super excited to, I, I watched the first few episodes, and then I went back and watched them again with my husband, and we haven't finished it yet, but, um, I was so excited you come across the scene where you find out, so, I mean, spoiler alert, I guess, there's a freaking Gundam, <laughs> uh, that they have, uh, I guess they use for their fights and stuff, we haven't gotten to that point in the series yet, but, um, like, that Gundams? That, that is so much sci-fi, that is true sci-fi, so that's pretty awesome, um, I also, I guess I'm just an idiot because I did not put together the fact that it's called Paper Girls because they are like, you know, paper boys who deliver paper. Traditionally, was, they would be called, but they're girls. I don't know why for all these years, like, oh, Paper Girls, you know, it's like some stupid John Green book title that's supposed to sound deep and meaningful uh, once you finish the book and it makes, you know, some stupid shit. Like, no, it's, it's literally, they are paper girls who deliver newspapers. <laughs> a little bit late on the uptake for that one, but, uh, we'll be finishing paper girls hopefully this week. I've been watching way too much TV, so I've been trying to cut back a touch, <laughs> uh, so we haven't finished paper girls, but really, really loved where it's gone so far. Uh, a number of recognizable actors and actresses in that, so definitely check it out if you are into, what I would honestly call quality comic book cinema. I mean, this is not superhero cinema. These are not cape comics. This is based off of this is an independent comic series from Image Comics. Uh, let's see, I think it was Image. Um, also, I got to note, it did come before Stranger Things. I know people say it's got Stranger Things vibes. It came decidedly before Stranger Things even started. So just putting that out there, Paper Girls did it first. I came across a really interesting Twitter discussion this week um, from Twitter account at art underscore AF underscore. Uh, this is Anthony Francisco or Francisco. Um, he is the guy who actually designed Namor's 
MCU costume design. So that's pretty cool. Um, and so I went through what he had to say on his account about the design and everything just to see if there was any kind of insights. And I have all of that here for you. So what he says about it is, uh, he says, I do not work under the costume department. I was with the Marvel Studios visual development team working with Ryan Meandering, 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 Meanerding, wow, sorry, who is the head of the team as well as leading the show. The Marvel team is leading the show. I must mean leading the show of the whole the whole event. The Marvel team is full-time staff of some of the best designers in the industry. The team does not work under the costume department. It is, it is its own department and collaborates directly with the director and producers at Marvel Studios, as well as other departments. They are Marvel's own internal team. This is true for all the previous movies in the MCU. After Ryan Coogler signed off on the concept art, my name or designs were sent over to the costume department and served as the roadmap for them to follow to make these amazing costumes. Without my design uh without them my design would just be on paper he added i learned so much when i was designing this character just like when i designed the dormelage and okoye for black panther uh for black panther he must have been the first black panther not just the aesthetic but also the history of indigenous people of the world it was a bit emotional i'm glad there is more representation and then he replied to somebody i am so happy with how it turned out the belt the necklace is all really a remix of things that inspired me when i was learning art it's all pretty much made it's all pretty much made up i also helped with establishing the direction for his crew by which he means the um the the atlanteans i guess or whatever they're going to be called uh, he also says that he works on or he did work on the i am groot series and visual designs for that um for disney plus which by the way by the way is going to be starting up uh in less than a week on disney plus on wednesday the i believe 10th let me see the date here yes wednesday the 10th so uh anthony francisco also worked on that it's pretty cool um I was really happy to see that he did do a good amount of uh, history, looking into the history of indigenous peoples of the world. Uh, yes, that representation is very important to make sure that they did a little bit of fact checking with that. Um, and we also know that Tenoqueta had talked about that on stage at San Diego Comic Con very briefly about how they had professionals, um, um, you know, indigenous South Americans and Mesoamericans. Uh, well, what, what, what was he had a term that he used for them um, that I don't have in front of me right now, so I apologize for that, but I had it in the last episode. Um, and so it's, it's just, I, I keep saying these things and it's nice to be continually reaffirmed that they are going about this process of creating the kind of Mesoamerican culture for Namor and his people um, accurately, or at least somewhat accurately. Um, I also had a, uh, a bit here for, um, Rick Villanueva, who is on Twitter at Cade's Bount, or sorry, Cad Bane's Bounty. Uh, he says, I know it's not a one-to-one, -one, but on-screen Namor reminded me so much of my dad's old chess set. He brought it from Mexico in the 70s. It was more than a cultural moment for me. It was personal. And he had a little picture there. A lot of Namor's design does look similar to the design of this old Mexican chess set, which um, I, I, this is exactly what you want to see when you do it right. You will have these people coming out of the woodwork who are like, dude, I, I looked at this and it made me feel some things because I haven't seen that on screen in this way, in this big, you know, uh, cultural, um, and by cultural, I mean like, um, pop culture sense. Um, and that's a big thing for people to see themselves represented like that. Um, I also have a article here from Gizmodo about uh, the process of Marvel Studios design team creating the MCU looks. If you would like to check that out, I will also have that in the description for this episode. These next two points of news are in fact news um, and they are both involving the DCEU. So, as things have gone through the week since I've planned this podcast, uh, it, it's very possible that neither of these points are necessarily going to be accurate when we, you know, in a week or two, uh, when we eventually hear updates on all this weird stuff that's happening over there at Warner Discovery. 
Oh, but again, next episode. Um, and these points are about Aquaman 2 and the apparent Flash movie. Uh, for Aquaman 2, in this movie, we have it officially announced by Jason Momoa, 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 Fui, uh, that Ben Affleck is actually going to be back as Batfleck, Batfleck. Well, yes, Batfleck. He's going to be back as Batman, uh, kind of known as Batfleck in pop culture. Uh, which is very exciting. I know a lot of people really, really enjoyed his Batman. I was one of them, definitely myself. Um, so it's cool to see him back. Now, before we anybody you know makes assumptions, I w- Marvel's a little bit different because they've established X, Y, and Z already. But for DC movies, um, I don't care about connected universes. I, I really don't. I've given up on all of that a while ago, honestly. But uh, what I do care about is decent enjoyable movies. Um, I don't care if they're connected. I don't care if they have Easter eggs to one another. I really just want to watch, um, movies that are done pretty, pretty, pretty well that have effort put into them. Um, I don't, I don't care if this is a sign that Ben Affleck is coming back as Batman in a larger sense. Genuinely do not care. I don't care if this means anything about the Zack Snyder stuff. I just want this movie to be decent. Um, (laughs) because it seems like that uh, even getting these movies to come out is going to be kind of hard. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about that more next week. Um, this was announced on Jason Momoa's Instagram. A lot of people were like super, uh, I don't want to say sketched out, but I guess, um, unsure about the legitimacy of it. And and they had to like go through these weird detective means of, oh yes, the time signature on the photos is this, this, and this. It's like, why would he post an old picture of him and Ben Affleck to say that he's like, that doesn't, this doesn't make sense. Of course, he's not making this up. Ben Affleck will be in some role in the um, his Batman slash Bruce Wayne will be in the Aquaman 2 movie. So great. Good for him. And this does come after the confirmation that there will be no more, I mean, as, as it was a week ago, the confirmation, uh, that there will be no more Zack Snyder Justice League stuff, which just, again, when I wrote this did have to some, have some people confused. Um, I still stand by this. I don't think that means that they're going to be redoing all of it from scratch or anything. Uh, just that they're not really continuing Snyder's plans. The characters and actors can still be around to go on and have movies. It's just not in the sense that the Snyder, uh, envisionment, envisionment, <laughs> the Snyder vision, God, uh, is not going to be the way that he saw it. You know, when they first gave him the keys, so to say, to the DCEU. Um, now, of course, things have changed in the past few days, really the past 48 hours. Um, there he is again. <laughs> and so uh, we'll talk about that on episode 75 when we hopefully have a little bit more details coming over the weekend. As for the Flash movie, uh, about a week and a half or so ago, there was an early uh, test screening for The Flash, and it came to very positive reviews, which is a good thing, definitely on the surface, but the screening was shown to random members of the general public, which, you know, it could mean that they're just not aware with the current and ongoing Ezra Miller controversies, which would certainly change someone's opinion on a project that uh, Ezra is in. And uh, it could also mean that they are totally blank slate, meaning that the viewers did not have proper context for this movie, the story, the characters, the overall connection, if there be one still, (laughs) you know, whatever that may be. So having it be random members of the general public, I honestly can't say if that's a good or a bad thing, but um, they were positive about it. So I feel like if they were negative about it, that would be more telling. Uh, Over on the Marvel camp, um, there was a Hollywood Reporter article that came out earlier this week saying uh, some stuff about the next steps in Marvel director finding. Um, Basically, they're talking about how they, they being the heads of Marvel productions, are still in the process of finding directors for the upcoming Fantastic Four movie or franchise. And they stated that specifically it will not be an origin story. I do have that Hollywood Reporter article linked in the description below, but the bit here that's important says, Feige compared Marvel's new take on the hero to its pact with the Sony but with Sony to bring Spider-Man to the MCU noting this will not be another origin story 
quote, a lot of people know this origin story. A lot of people know the basics. How do we take that and bring something that they've never seen before? Said Feige, that was unquote, said Feige, who added that given the super team launched the Marvel Comics universe back in 1961, quote, we've set a very high bar for ourselves with bring that to the screen, unquote. Uh, for me, personally, none of this is concerning in the slightest. We did not have an origin story to go with Spider-Man in this current run of Spider-Man, but it has been critically fantastic, so really no big deal. If the Supreme Court can rule that Miranda rights should be known by the average citizens, then Marvel can, review, can rule that viewers should know the basics of these very overplayed origin stories uh, over the past... 60 years by now. Uh, but all joking aside, there's plenty of ways that they can explain the Fantastic Four origin clearly enough for people to understand that without playing it out right in front of us as a plot to, say, kick off the movie or to be the plot of the first movie or anything like that. Um, and I already did mention last week as well that we do know that Daniel Des or Destin Daniel Cretton, I always say Daniel Destin, that's not the name, the name is Destin Daniel Cretton, uh, he was the director and everything of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. He has been brought on to helm the Kang Dynasty Avengers movie, which is going to wrap up Phase Fix. Well, no, it's going to be in Phase Fix. Phase six in 2025. Um, other directors who we know are involved in upcoming Marvel projects, aside from Destin Daniel Cretton, Includes Basim or sorry, Basam Tariq is directing Blade. Julius Ona is on board for Captain America: New World Order, and Jake Schreer, who actually was involved in Paper Towns, is directing the villain team-up movie Thunderbolts, which we don't actually have a whole lot of movie. Sorry, info on this movie. <laughs> um, so it's possible that this is going to be like a uh, anti-hero thing, less than a full-on villain team, but we'll have to wait and see. Odds are it's going to be like U.S. Patriot, Yelena Belova, stuff like that, which again, I, I feel like they're kind of not direct villains, um, especially the way that we've seen their stories play out, but we'll have to wait. We'll wait and see how that all kind of goes. As promised, we will talk the She-Hulk featurette that was released by Marvel. Um, this was notable that it was released by Marvel because um, it did have a lot of differences to the Comic-Con trailer, which we'll get to when we get there. Um, presumably they had more creative control over this featurette thing than the initial Comic-Con trailer. So um, again, we'll cover that as we get to those points. This trailer or this featurette reveals that Jen gets her powers when she and Bruce are in a car accident um, and his blood gets on an open wound of her arm. <laughs> It's an interesting choice, but okay, I guess I just didn't want Bruce doing janky sketch doctor shit, so instead they're having this weird metaphor to AIDS. Um, not sure that's a great choice, but okay. Uh, there, There is a distinct tone change in the character of Jen, specifically, uh, from the Comic-Con trailer as well. Uh, I did point out in the last episode how bizarre it was when um, she was saying things like uh, all anybody cares about is that she's representing Blonsky, not that she's big and green, which was odd because this is a reverse to her usual personality from the comics. She just wants to get on with life and do her job as a lawyer, not to be known as the sexy green Hulk, big green Hulk Avenger lady, you know. Um, and this feature flips that back on its head again, saying, uh, for having Jen say that almost verbatim, all she wants is to get on her, her life and do her job as a lawyer, you know. It was pointed out to me, uh, again, that this could be due to the fact that it was a third-party studio most likely producing the Comic-Con trailer versus Marvel Studios making this feature at themselves, which is what I'm going to write it off as for now, but I will be keeping my options open for if there's any weird personality switch-ups happening here. Um, there has also still been no interaction with quote-unquote Nikki, if that is her real name, uh, by any other characters besides Jen. In fact, there uh, there was even a still that I came across at one point of Jen and Nikki at a bar with somebody, some male friend, and Nikki is like kind of cuddled up to him, but he's looking at Jen, and Nikki is the only one who doesn't have a drink in front of her, which again, I know in the trailer, there's a clip of her holding a cocktail glass, specifically a martini glass, 
it's not being interacted with again hallucination i just feel like it's... and we do see also a mallory book in this uh featurette she is a enemy of jen or co-worker enemy i guess you would say i don't know rival Rival's probably the best word to go with there. Uh, she's a rival of Jen's from the comics, and in the current series, she has actually become Jen's boss, so that's complicated. Uh, I also still think, based on this featurette and the little clips of Titiana, we see uh, Tit Titania, Tatiana, that's the wrong the wrong media altogether. Titania that we see um, attacking the courtroom, I still think that's a PR stunt. Um, that kind of all feels very in line with everything we've seen of the show and everything we've been teased about yet. There was also a new clip of Jen and Bruce training on the island of Mexico. It was the first full clip, apparently. I'm sure it's been edited somewhat still of Jen and Bruce uh, from the show, period. Uh, she is killing it in these training sessions that he's giving her a little bit to Bruce's dismay. I am curious how between her becoming a Hulk and them arriving on the island, Bruce's arm apparently gets fixed because when we see in the car accident, he still has that, you know, Infinity Gauntlet messed up arm. Um, I should say the, yeah, Gauntlet messed up arm. Um, but then when they're on the island, he's fine. So maybe uh, her blood fixes him? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Um, also, her having such a chill time as the Hulk is a big part of what me thinks. What me thinks. What makes me think. Um, there's got to be a downside to everything going on here that she just isn't aware of. Um, there for a long time wasn't necessarily in the comics aside from her, you know, constant villains. But that has been kind of switched up on through the years that um, being big, green, beautiful, and sexy and in the public eye is not necessarily something you want to be 24 seven. Um, so maybe they're going to go into that. Maybe they're going to go into her mental health stuff. I don't know. Uh, I just think that there is definitely something in there that we are not privy to yet. Finally, in the news, uh, there was a new Andor, tra Andor trailer released, uh, and the show was also announced to have been pushed back very slightly to September 21st. I believe it was about a month that it was pushed back, so not a huge deal. Um, oh, I forgot to mention with the She-Hulk stuff, also, it's going to be premiering on Thursdays, uh, starting on the 18th of August. But anyway, back to Andor. Um, pushed back to September 21st, and there was a really fun trailer that they released, um, I have a feeling this is going to be one of the last full trailers that they do aside from teasers and clips and things like that. Um, so definitely check that one out. I was going to do a bit of a trailer breakdown very loosely, but then I came across the uh, actual StarWarsNews.net site where somebody did a Andor trailer breakdown that I cannot compete with. Um, and honestly, they make me feel like I am a bad Star Wars fan. Because I don't even know what they're talking about through a lot of it. Um, these dudes are intense. I shouldn't say dudes. These folks are intense. I could say dudes about girls, too. He's, they's, she's, and babes. You know, dudes. Um, so Andor, it's going to be really good. It looks awesome. It looks pretty much like, you know, after Cassian had died in uh, the Rogue One movie, and it, I mean, basically everybody had died, everybody was kind of left with like, wow, this was a fantastic movie, but everybody dies <laughs> um which happens you know in cinema at times um so it does feel like you know, th that that little bit of like well shucks you know would have loved to see more of this cool set of characters in some extent it does feel like they're following up on that desire for the fans uh very very well and of course as many, many of us have been asking for a long time, now myself included, it is expanding the world of Star Wars indirect with the Skywalker legacy, which, in you know, as in my opinion, is 100% where the future of Star Wars is. Uh, use the Skywalkers as timestamps, but you don't need to actually delve into their history much more than we already have. I think I think we're pretty good on that. Um, but yeah, future of Star Wars. If and if it's anything like Andor, count me in. Excited for this one to start for sure. 
in the comic book picks for the week these were things that came out on the he's back came out on the week of the third um just kidding that was this week these are things that came out the week of the 27th of july that seems right yeah no that was right uh what i'm going to be talking here is strange number four of which i am conflicted but then also fantastic reviews for public domain number two the variants number two sins of the black flamingo number two and finally vampirella year one number one so starting up with strange number four um i've i wrote a lot about this on twitter and about every social media thing but um I am conflicted. So for context, obviously, if you haven't been around long, you wouldn't know that. Um, I, I've read every appearance of Clea multiple times, um, and I've used that history to put context to her character. So when it comes up on things like this, and I'm reading her full so first solo series, as this series actually is, um, and parts of her characterization feel off, it gets to be a bit disappointing. All of the reference that the creators, or the editors, and the publishers, that anybody needs to know for Clea's character is right there and can be summarized in a couple of hours of reading, which I know because I literally have it all summarized on my website. I've done it. I've done the work. The work is out there. If I can do it, they can do it too. I'm some rando fan and I had the ability to read up on her in a very fairly short amount of time. So why is it so hard for the actual Marvel team to get it wrong? Or sorry, to get it right. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, I love the majority of how she is written. Granted, it still lacks the obvious passion for the character that McKay has when he writes Felicia Hardy, aka Black Cat. Um, but that's not the issue here. The issue is that for years now, Clea and Stephen Strange have had it established that their romantic relationship is over. Dead and buried decaying, never to return, a less than fond memory. It's been literally established in Marvel's own comics. So why are they having Clea simp for Steven so hard all of the sudden again? She's made it clear that she has moved on. She told him as much to his face. They said they will always be connected, but she was far beyond ever calling herself Clea Strange. And and that's without going into how she's not even from Earth. And we know that the Faultine Society, which is her mother's side of things, and not necessarily the side that she was raised through, but still, the Faultines are absolutely disgusted with human relationship ties, especially the titles that come along with them. So her taking Stephen's name, it makes zero sense. Even if they did, at any point, ever get legally married on Earth, which never, never happened, but I digress. My point here, I hope makes sense. I, I love the power, I love the magic, I love the anger and the pizzazz, I love the Umar. Umar is the original mommy. I hate the fact that Clea's first solo series is characterized almost entirely by her former relationship to a man. This is Clea's first solo series, and it is a legacy Doctor Strange title. It's not even titled for her. It's titled for an ex. And even if they are trying to say that they're together again, it's titled for a husband then if that's how they're trying to play this out, to pretend that the breakup never happened, which it 100% did over the course of many times over and over again that it was reiterated they were never getting back together, ever. Here we are, though. Um, it just, it, it, it really, really rubs me the wrong way. They're trying to be like, oh, yes, Clea, big new thing. But we're going to not title the series after her, and we're not going to give her any credit for the fact that this is actually her first solo series. We're just going to make it revolve entirely around Steven. Oh, and the art is horrendous, but only sometimes. Sometimes it's okay, um, and then sometimes it looks like... I mean, it looks just tragic. There's absolutely no consistency. Um, I really, really would do anything for them to have had a different artist on this. But what can you do? 
Uh, Public Domain number two from Image and Chip Zartsky, absolutely fantastic. Um, in this issue, the family goes to a lawyer, and of course, the news is not ideal. So the son goes to the um, CEO or whatever of the publisher, I guess, and shows he makes the mistake of showing the guy the contract uh, that his dad owns these characters. And the, the CEO's mood immediately changes it. He whoops out his cell phone, takes a picture of it, says... Security, escort this man out. He gets thrown out, which is actually a really funny scene in itself. Um, but it's just like, it shows how the corporate, like, as soon as you say the word lawyer to anybody corporate, which is a funny thing when you talk about how my job's been going this week, um, they, they, they start taking things seriously and the truth will come out. So real funny how that happens. Uh, and then, so of course the, the writer learns of it and gets all pissed off. Uh, probably is going to fire his assistant who discovered this paperwork. Um, and then the artist, uh, you know, finds out his son did this thing and now the publisher is aware of all this stuff and he has a choice to make. Does he want to fight them or does he want to just lay down and let them take his stuff? Um, and, and he's probably going to lay down and take it. But then his wife has talked to him, very passive aggressive, but in a way that gets him to understand. And she basically ends up telling him she wants him to fight for his creations because those creations include their family. And so together they decide they are going to do it. They're going to fight the publisher for the rights of the creator. I love you, Chip Sartsky. Uh, the Variants number two. This is the um, Gail Simone Filnoto, R.E. Uh, Jessica Jones. <laughs> I was blanking on her name for a second there. Um, we start off with a like light flashback, which I found to be the best part of the issue, to be honest, um, because it is Jessica and Tigra, uh, at a diner, I guess, staking or somebody staking a place out, staking somebody out. That's not right. Um, and so Tigra orders eight raw eggs and they talk about a force, which is super exciting because that was, and is, well, I don't know if it is, but it was the first, um, at a time only all entirely 100% female superhero team. Um, and it started because of Jonathan Nickman's, uh, battle world, and then was brought into kind of canon 616. But anyway, super cool stuff. Really happy to have that kind of like bone thrown to former A-Force readers. But anyway, um, stuff happens. Luke interferes with the uh, the variants who have now shown up at their house. Um, and Jessica kind of realizes that there is something happening with the purple man who is brain dead, but possibly not because something is definitely happening with him and his effects uh his his past effects on her and his other victims so um luke ends up taking their kid and jessica goes so for whatever reason she goes and she kisses matt which makes me think maybe that wasn't actually our jessica um but then she goes to jen and talks to Jen and is like i need help jen fights jen a little bit i love how phil noto draws she hulk um, and then Jewel breaks through the wall of her apartment. Uh, Jewel is Jessica's, at one time, super heroine costume and name. Um, if you've ever seen Jessica Jones as the white and purple-ish, sometimes white and pink, depending on the artist, uh, costume, that is her as Jewel. Not sure why she took that name. Maybe there's a story to it. I don't know. Um, uh, but that's how the issue ends. Jewel breaks into the apartment and is like, hey, so we should probably talk. Um, but anyway, I'm really loving this. Phil Noto is a art interior god. Sins of the Black Flamingo number two, I believe, is also from Image Comics and is still brilliant. The last episode ended episode Jesus the last issue ended with the black flamingo coming across this actual angel dude who looks like he's been tortured and chained for hundreds of years so of course he kidnaps him because what else are you gonna do and where does he take the actual angel but to a angel themed beach party um, in Florida so it's like a whole thing pretty funny um, some stuff goes down. The clay man from the first issue shows up and saves them when trouble starts uh, because the black flamingo has only made enemies in the gay community. 
uh, by, you know, sleeping and running and stuff like that. So uh, they end up taking refuge in a cursed zoo in a swamp for some reason. Uh, I guess there is a goddess who watches over it or something like that, but he gets shot anyway. Um, Obviously the series is not over and he's probably not actually dead, so I'm very interested to see what happens next um, and how he's going to survive this one. But this is the second of like five or six issues and it's it's brilliant. It really is. It, it is something else. It's exactly the kind of thing that I, I want to read when I read indie comics. Something that makes me feel something different. Vampirella Year One is from Dynamite Comics and is by Christopher Priest, who has been doing a hell of a job in setting up a whole universe of Vampirella canon. Um, in this issue, well, in the in the last time we saw him in, we saw Vampirella in Christopher Priest's uh, run of her stuff was in the uh, um, shoot Vampirella loving shoot I'm blanking I believe it was Unholy actually uh, was the title of that one but anyway Unholy ended with us discovering that Vampirella is actually pregnant um, so the series starts off with confirming that basically um, and she is shacked up with the bird human person from the uh, Seduction of the Innocent side of Christopher Priest's Vampirella run I don't honestly remember the context of him, but he's there. He's helping her out. They may or may not be screwing. Uh, doesn't really seem to matter <laughs> because the father of the baby is deceased. Uh, but anyway, uh, so she's telling the story of her childhood and coming to earth to her unborn child. And the story goes, she of course is the daughter of Lilith. We knew that Lilith is the black queen of Draculon. She seems to really not care that her economy is failing, even though she overthrew the last government because of basically the same reasons and it's only gotten worse. Um, And the blood supply is also of course failing, which is how they kind of sustain themselves. So they're in what they're calling a drought. Uh, Lilith builds an underground paradise for the elite um, as the surface of Draculon turns to a desert, which feels oddly like something very realistic. (laughs) And then an uprising takes her off the throne quite violently. Vampirella ends up being rescued, quote unquote, rescued to the surface world. Eventually, after being astray, some family takes her in and Lilith who survived, ends up killing the mother uh, one night and taking her place in secret. Lilith is such a bee. I love her. Um, I also read Iron Cat this week. Oh, I started to read it. I did not finish it. I will say that now. Um, I don't care about Iron Man. (laughs) If this series was just Felicia Hardy doing stuff with Tamara Blake against Tamara Blake, you know, then that's fine. But I just, I don't like Iron Iron Man and the fact that he's a main player in this is just not super fun for me so I got bored with this one pretty quickly um, but I'll try again maybe. (laughs) Next up we are going to be talking about this week's comic book polls. Again these have already been released. I actually haven't read anything. Uh, Have I read anything yet? No I don't think I've actually read anything yet of this list. Oh I read Poison Ivy but we don't need to talk about that right now. Uh, But anyway um These came out the 3rd of August. So this is starting up top the list with a couple of number ones and specials. And then we'll get into uh, things that are actually, there's a lot of number ones and specials. That's pretty exciting. Uh, And then some more ongoing stuff. So starting with Batman White Knight Presents Red Hood, number one of two. This is a... Uh, This is coinciding with Batman Beyond the White Knight by Sean Gordon Murphy for his Murphyverse. Um, Absolutely fantastic run of non-canon DC comics. It's his own little universe that they've given him over at DC Black Label, and it is stellar. Um, This is a two-issue story that's basically going to be uh, wrapping up Sean Gordon Murphy's version of Under the Red Hood um, and etc. The, the story of Jason Todd. So what it says here, 
Bruce Wayne is Batman, four words that saved Jason's life and destroyed his future forever. Banished by his mentor and damaged by the Joker, the former Robin is left to become something different, something stronger, a relentless force for justice in the city, Red Hood. With nobody to answer to, he walks a dangerous line between hero and villain. That is, until he meets Gan, a local girl from East Backport who needs his help to save her neighborhood from a super criminal terrorizing its citizens. And she's willing to fight alongside him, whatever it takes. This is actually written with Sean Gordon Murphy, as well as Clay McCormack, and the art is by Simone DeMeo. Uh, from DC Black Label. Over at Marvel, very exciting, we have Demon Wars, The Iron Samurai Part 1. Um, this is the first um, the first uh, story in Peach Momoko's second run of her, um, I guess, Momoko universe at Marvel. I'm not sure if they have a name for it yet. But the first was Demon Days, and the second... Uh, is now Iron Samurai. Demon Days was going over some X-Men stuff, and Demon Wars is going to be her retelling of Civil War. Coming from Ablaze Comics is the all-ages series Elles. This is by Kid Toisson and Aveline Stokar. I'm guessing it's pronounced French just based on the spelling. Uh, Elle is just another teenage girl most of the time. Bubbly and good-natured, she wastes no time making friends on her first day at her new school. But Elle has a secret. She hasn't come alone. She's brought with her a colorful mix of personalities which come out when she least expects it. Who is Elle really and will her new friends stand by her when they find out the truth? This one seems to be um I saw it described somewhere as inside out, um, but multiple personalities, kinds of, and I am way into that. I know I said it's an all-ages series, yeah, it is. One thing you have to understand about all-ages comics in the year 2022 is oftentimes it truly is all-ages comics. It is good for adults as well as children. All-ages, unlike in other genres, is not a metaphor uh, sorry, is not a, uh, synonym, I don't know why I said metaphor, it's not a synonym for, for kids. It just means kids can also read this because it's not horrifying and violent and sexual, you know, it's, it's all ages, but adults will get a kick out of it too. I've read a number of all ages comics that are just brilliant and honestly some of my favorite things, so don't be turned away from a series because it is all ages. It does not mean it is a kid's comic. Golden Rage number one comes from Image Comics by Chrissy Williams and Lauren Knight with a variant by Tula Lotte. In a world where older women who've been deemed useless to society are abandoned on an island, Golden Rage documents their golden years of making friends, baking dessert, and fighting to the death. Created by writer Chrissy Williams, who was the editor of Die and The Wicked and the Divine, and artist Lauren Knight, who did Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is the first issue of a brand new five-issue miniseries where Battle Royale meets the Golden Girls. How could you not love how that sounds? The new champion of Shazam number one is from DC Comics, where Mary Bromfield, Bromfield is starting uh, her run as the champion of Shazam by Josie Campbell and Evan Shaner with variants by Joshua Milton and Gary Frank. This is going to be a four-issue series focusing on Mary Marvel. Rock Collector number one comes from Silver Sprocket, who I love as a publisher, by artist and writer Becca Tobin. Olive and Louise are aliens living a leisurely life, painting, playing the lute, and collecting puzzle rocks. Plus, it's super fun to go planet side and snoop through other people's stuff. But when a puzzle rock trip goes wrong, Louise has to get Olive out of danger fast. Sacrament number one from AWA by Peter Milligan and Marcelo Frusen says the exorcist meets alien in this sci-fi horror story. In the year 3000, mankind abandoned earth and fled into outer space. Now a disgraced priest called into action to perform an exorcism on a remote space colony is to discover, is about to discover that no matter how far you run, you can't escape your demons and the devil is in fact real. Survival Street number one is from Dark Horse Comics by James Asmus, Jim Festante, and Ab Abile Kusyanov, which I definitely said wrong. Survival Street is an un 
repentant action satire tearing through a dystopia packed with economic and humanistic cautionary tales. This is basically a spoof off of Sesame Street. It says, after an unbridled wave of corporations take over America, the country is left completely deregulated and effectively carved up into feudal states where billionaires and businesses make their own laws. Among the wreckage, mass privatization shuts down public broadcasting, forces all the beloved entertainers out on the, out on the down and dirty streets. One group of them stick together, determined to keep helping kids across the country, and do it by becoming an A-team-esque band of mercenaries, fighting for and educating kids in the crumbling corporate war zone of New Best America. How could you not love how great that sounds? Two things coming from DC Comics by Dan Waters and Nicola and a series of creative people, but Dan Waters writes, uh, first one is Sword of Azrael, The Dark Knight of the Soul. This one is actually a collection of reprints catching you up with what happened from Azrael in the stories of Batman Urban Legends 8 through 10 that will lead into Sword of Azrael number one of six, also out this week by Dan Waters and Nicola Smissija. I'm so sorry. Uh, but we have some really sick variants by Christian Ward, Claire Rowe, and Joe Quesada. The warrior angel of St. Dumas returns when Jean-Paul Valet does not want to be Azrael ever again. Oh, it was just Jean-Paul Valet does not want to be Azrael again. All it has brought him is pain, violence, and misery. He has sequestered himself away at a monastery in Europe to find peace. But when a young woman who claims to have the same system programming that made Jean-Paul into Azrael arrives at the monastery, he won't have a choice but to don his violent mantle of Azrael once more to protect her from the deadly assassins who wish her harm. From the Rising Star creative team of Dan Waters and Nicholas... This miniseries will redefine one of Batman's most the Batman world's most iconic and fierce characters. Vineyard number one comes from Aftershock Comics by Brian Hawkins and Sammy Kivea. The Vineyard is a family-owned wine... You probably say vineyard, huh? The Vineyard is a family-owned winery that sows and reaps the blessings of the great god of wine and revelry, Dionysus. However, the Vines' family, patron god, requires complete devotion in the form of four sacrificial killings a year before each harvest. This has been done in unfettered obeisance. They're obeying. But all that changed when the family's patriarch, Didash Vines, was in a horrible accident that left him paralyzed and in a wheelchair. Now, the sacrificial and murderous duties of the Vines family have fallen to the wife of the matriarch, Maranatha Vines. With harvest season fast approaching and the family sure of their annual sacrificial killings, Maranatha's struggle, Maranatha's struggle to her with her conscience puts her family, husband, sutter, and daughter, husband, son, and daughter in jeopardy. Uh, the Vineyard is about what happens when family values and otherworldly obligations collide. Poison Ivy number three, I already read and it was great. G. Willow Wilson, Marcio Takara, variants by Art Germ, Joshua Middleton, Joel Jones with Jordi Belair, Justine Franny, and Seb McKinnon. Fixing the world isn't easy, and Ivy's all hot and sweaty because of it. Getting her hands dirty was never an issue, but when plant assassins come after her, Ivy must be willing to play dirty as well. Multiversity Teen Justice number three of, I believe, five. Um, is from, again, DC by Ivan Cohen and Danny Lore with art by Luciano Vecchio. The miniseries that goes to Earth-11 uh, gets even wilder as the mysteries of a gender-flipped universe become clearer and more shocking. We're dealing with Superman's Island Fortress, the Church of Blood, Kid Quick and the Teen Justice Team, uh, Secrets of Aqua Girl, and Green Lantern, Hal Ferris. Lots of fun stuff in that one. Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number three of seven came out this week by Joshua Williamson and Daniel Sempere, as variants by Lee Weeks, Michael Allred, John Gang, Ethan Young, Daniel Sempere, Dan Mora, uh, who also did a Red Canary design cover that looks stunning. It is also her first appearance. Twig number four from Image Comics by Scotty Young and Kyle Stram. This is the penultimate uh, issue in the series. It will end with issue five next month. 
Immortal X-Men number five is a Judgment Day tie-in by Karen Gillan and Michelle Bandini. Covers include Peach Promoco, Art Adams, and Phil Noto. Definitely recommend the Art Adams cover. Harley Quinn number 18 is going to be uh, the kickoff to its weekly run by Stephanie Phillips, Georges Duarte, and it is part one of Task Force XX. Finally, Batman 126 is issue two by Chip Zartsky and Balin Ortega, as well as Jorge Jimenez. Uh, in this issue, we meet um, Catwoman as she searches down the family of the Penguin, and we meet his children, uh, as well as meeting Failsafe. Uh, covers by Jorge Jimenez, Alex Garner, Guillaume March, Mikael Janin, a swimsuit cover, which was actually Mikael Janin's, Inuclid as a 1 of 25, Jox 1 of 50, and Ryan Sook with a 1 of 100. The Harley Quinn Series 3 premiere happened last week, and it was delightful. Um, I'm really, really happy that the show seems to be kicking off with a really good budget, Again, with all of the Warner Discovery uh, news, I guess you would call it <laughs> lately, um, who knows how many more episodes of this we will ever have to see. So I'm going to appreciate the heck out of them while we got them. I did find one article that counted there were a total of 33 F-bombs in the total of first three episodes. Um, they also have a count that there were 116 in season one and 124 in season two so if there's at least like seven episodes i feel like they are well on track to surpass that number so season 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 three episode one was titled harlivey uh we get the timeline that the wedding wasn't even two weeks ago we get the girls on a themiscarian invisible jet uh with a bunch of cool loot in the background uh, and then we get Ivy's paradise that she kind of ran away with Harley to is destroyed, uh, which ends up jumpstarting her desire to overhaul Gotham in plants based on a previous theory for a project that she had that never actually amounted to everything. But now she is back on the um, science trail of just completely terraforming Gotham. So episode two, the project begins, is titled, There's No Ivy in Team. Um, there is a apparently a drilling joke, which is a porn parody of, oh, right, the drilling joke. I totally forgot. I was like, what did I write here? The drilling joke. Okay, yeah, no, that was a porn parody of the killing joke by Alan Moore and Brian Boland. Um, really showing that nothing is sacred, which is how it should be in this kind of show. We get James Gunn playing himself, honestly not making fun of himself nearly enough. Um, we get Clay Mann becoming James Gunn's chair when he can't act. <laughs> and then uh, we get Nightwing saying, fuck the macaroni, as homage to um, Dick Grayson saying, fuck Batman in the Titans show, which by the way is a really great show. Um, and uh, this was something that I noticed. The pink flower that Ivy hides in uh, seems to be based on a design that we see her, her have some plants for the Poison Ivy Cycle of Life and Death limited series. Life and Death limited series, uh, which is really, really good. Um, I remember, if you recall, the controversy of Batman was going to be going down on Catwoman in a scene. Well, it seems they switched that out with Batman uh, licking her toes which is funny because I guess they thought that him uh, eating her out would be degrading, but sucking her feet wouldn't be. So <clears throat> it really shows their opinion on women's anatomy, but okay. Uh, we also have, um, I got to look up the actor, but he's Guillermo in what we do in the shadows. Let me see. Uh, that would be Harvey Guillen, if I'm saying that right. He is uh, Guillermo in what we do in the shadows as well as a couple other really, really funny things absolutely killed it as Nightwing. I think he is officially the fan favorite Nightwing across all of DC media. <laughs> um, peak Nightwing is what people were calling him. There's really, really absolutely hilarious bits. Uh, completely dramatic, dramatic dick. He has a stunning mullet. <laughs> um, it, it's just, it's brilliant. He, he decides that they're in this torture room that's going to kill them, right? And so that he gets like, he's like, oh, I'm going to kill myself. And so he jumps up and like sits on top of the shelf where these spikes are coming down from the ceiling so that it'll kill him faster than if he just stands on the floor. Of course, it doesn't actually happen. He doesn't kill himself. Um, 
It was really funny. Uh, some of the things that people found folders on the bat computer during the final scene uh, were labeled bat taxes, the air cut, bat soup nipple concepts, and Robin's homework. So just some enjoyable little Easter eggs there. Episode three was titled the 83rd annual Villy Awards, where we learned that Riddler and the Clock King of all people are the first out openly gay villain couple very interesting um the the villi awards were held at the uh monarch theater in crime alley which is of course where batman's parents were killed um in fact there was a line about uh joe what is his name joe batman's parents joe um joe something joe Chill, yeah, Joe Chill, that's his name. There was a joke about Joe Chill and how everybody aspires to be like Joe Chill at these awards. Oh my god, that's terrible. Uh, Joe Chill killed Batman's parents, but anyway. Uh, it is hosted also, to make it funnier, by the Joker, who did seat Harley Quinn and Ivy up for the uh, couple of the year or whatever award next to Kite Man and his new girlfriend, Golden Glider. Uh, you will notice the crotch gun guy. He actually is a real Doom Patrol villain called Codpiece. He had a single appearance in Doom Patrol number 70, but if I could bet money on anything, I'd bet that he's going to make an appearance because of this show. Uh, there was a villain in Memoriam, which included Scarecrow, which is honestly hilarious because the Joker was the one who killed him. Uh, and then we have Golden Glider, who is discovered outside by Ivy when Ivy kind of flees the building. And the two of them together kind of figure out who the other is. They're both involved in Kite Man and actually end up getting along really well. Golden Glider seems pretty sweet and uh, cool and is a good match for Kite Man. And apparently she's going to be the co-star of his upcoming Noonan's spinoff TV show. The cast of Harley Quinn is one of the things that makes it absolutely fantastic, so I have to go over some of the more entertaining uh, cast uh, voice actors. So we obviously have Harley Quinn by Kaylee Cuco, Poison Ivy by Lake Bell, Clayface by Alan Tudyk, King Shark by Ron Funches, The Riddler by Jim Rash, Frank the Plant by J.B. Smoove, Batman by Diedrich Bader, Alfred by Tom Hollander, Nightwing by Harvey Guillen, and Jacob Tremblay as Robin. Really, really fun list of characters and crew there. So um, that wraps up today's episode. We covered Harley Quinn. We covered everything I got. Next week, we'll go over all of this crazy Warner Discovery stuff that's up in the air a little bit, kind of confusing. Not really sure if they're serious. Kind of hoping they're not, but they are. Um, but that will cover all that. We'll cover the Nichelle Nichols tribute, which I just couldn't put together this week. I wasn't, I wasn't in the mental state to do that. Um, and we will be talking, uh, well, I guess we will be talking I Am Group because it actually doesn't start until Wednesday. Uh, presuming that this podcast episode comes out on time, it will not be talking about what we see in the episode, but rather preparing us for it. Um, let's see. That's kind of it for this week. Uh, we have picks and polls for next week that are going to be really exciting. We obviously have a lot to cover with news, um, and it's still con season, so things are constantly kind of being announced and popping up in media. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. I know it's a little bit of a funny one because we are kind of between shows, um, but after next week, we'll be back with at least I Am Groot. Oh, I guess we have Harley Quinn. We do have Harley Quinn, so there's that. Uh, episode four, we will talk on Mondays, episode 75. Again, thank you for listening to everything. I hope you had an excellent solstice. It wasn't a solstice. Um, an excellent uh, Lufmas, if that's what you are uh, calling it this year. But, but anyway, um, stay hydrated. It's still a bit hot and sunny and humid and muggy uh, in general around here this time of year. So stay hydrated. Um, get some rest. Do something fun. And get sweaty about comics. Be nice to your fellow people and try to form a community where you live.